like, yeah, you know, he was with it. And then Mark was like, oh, you want me to stand up? You want to do it right here? And then he stood up. You know what I'm saying? You got to watch the video for yourself. I'm not going to. But when he did that, when Mark stood up, you know, he he had, like, moved his red. He was going to remove his wedding ring and everything. You know what I'm saying? Um, Bernie Sanders was next to him. That's why I said it was like a moot because, like, young Bernie Sanders was next to him. And Bernie was like, sit down. You're a U.S. senator. guys welcome to talks with talks the podcast that talks i'm your host tevin west we'll usually discuss sports news current events in and out of the town and both random and special topics we'll have guests that swing by from time to time okay today let's get into what's going on in the u.s men's national team camp i'm kind of in my bag today i'm in my podcasting bag today i just you know i went to uh kroger to get uh some headphones um, to put on to my podcast mic so I can hear myself. And uh, for the moment, I sound decent. We can sound better, but that'll come with time. Uh, but, you know, I'm I'm a soccer guy through and through. Like, when I got done with, um, like, basketball and football in and, 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 and middle school, um, I had a friend named Mac Nelson, and we were 14 years old at the time. This is 2009, and we were in uh, we were at Warner Robins High School, and we were in ninth grade, and we were in um, Burt Rumble's um, academy because back then at Warner Robins and at Northside, you had ninth graders had to go to an academy, which was an ex- a separate building from the main campus. So it was like a big deal if you were a student that got to go over to do lunch or do class at the main campus. You know, they'll come, you'll come, they'll come back and be like, "Oh yeah, I was over. I'd be over to main campus just like trying to flex or whatever. I was over to eat lunch, whatever." But Mac Nelson was my classmate in ninth grade literature. Uh, I want to say our teacher was Mr. Morrison, who also went to the University of North Texas. Shout out to University of North Texas. Mr. Morrison was cool people. Uh, he's a military dude, but um my, my friend mac nelson was like hey you want to come out to soccer conditioning and I, I just thought of like i don't know why i thought about this but i thought about soccer conditioning being like a breeze like whew, like you know just whew, like what you think pilates would be like if you were a man that never did pilates you'd think it'd be like cool breezy but it wasn't it was hard like pilates is and like soccer conditioning is it was very hard we went to the sand pit and we like did a bunch of agility drills that were probably closely are t- tied to football and explosiveness but and we ran and we ran and we ran and I, I died and i had I had asthma and everything and i went back so uh here i am what 14 15 years later and i'm still doing soccer so that's why i want to talk about the u.s men's national team uh camp today and, and just wanted to talk about what they had going on so uh currently the U.S. men's national soccer team is 
currently ranked 11th in the world. And we, we're slated uh, as are Canada and Mexico. So essentially like, you know, the big players in North and Central America are going to be hosting the 2026 World Cup. So the next World Cup that comes up, America, along with Canada and Mexico, will be hosting it. And um, currently right now on the uh, on the international roster, we have, by the way, if you hear me talking about soccer on any level, it'll probably be a on the international scene. I very, I very rarely go into club ball. It's just so much of a convoluted mess that I don't even want to touch it that much, but I will occasionally, but most of the time it's going to be international soccer. I thought it'd be great to bring this whole thing in with the U S men's national soccer team. So the U S men's national soccer team has 21 players currently playing in Europe right now and 20 playing at top flight clubs in Europe. Uh, so you got you got 21 overall, but you got 20 that are playing in the top flight. I forget which one is not playing in the top flight. Is it like um, I forgot? So he plays in like Bundesliga two, but um, and and we got one in Mexico's top flight, and we got one in MLS's top flight. The one that is in MLS, uh, in the MLS, not top flight. Just MLS. The one MLS player on the roster is Miles Robinson. And I just wanted to like highlight that because Miles Robinson was like he was chosen as the only MLS player at this time because of probably how seasoned he is. So he's been with Atlanta United since their conception, which was in 2017, and he didn't compete in Atlanta United's uh 2018 MLS Cup final. He was on the bench for that. Um, I think Tata Martinez coached that team. But um, Atlanta absolutely dominated the Timbers um, in that game. Uh, they beat them 2-0. And um, they, haven't, they haven't really been anywhere close to that since uh, – close to that farm since they lost to Toronto FC that next year. They lost to them two to one in the uh, in the, in the 2019 Eastern Conference Final. But anyway, back to the U.S. Men's National Team. So I highlighted Miles um, Miles Robinson. No related, no relation to Anton Robinson, who is currently the left back who has like a heart of bronze, like lungs of bronze. He never stops running, bro. Uh, I don't know if he's very good like going forward. He didn't really show me much in the World Cup going forward, but he. he he got the lungs, like he got the fitness, like he can just run up the side, that sideline, left side of the sideline all day long and just put in crosses. Even if he misses, he can put in like 20 crosses, like something's going to fall through. That's the idea of having like a left wing back is like you can just run up the sideline and get on your horse and you're going to throw 20 crosses a game, 26 crosses a game, and you're going to end up getting an assist or two in, in, in four or five games. And that's how you're going to make your money as a left back left wing back. So that's what Anton is, but he's no relation to Miles Robinson. The only reason I keep highlighting Miles Robinson is because, um, you know, when you take uh, one MLS player on the U.S. men's national roster team, he's, he's the only one right now. So if, if you know anything about U.S. men's national team soccer, you know that before we had Greg Berhalter in, 
you you in and before we had Jurgen Klinsmann in, I just want to make that very clear because those two characters in U.S. men's national team soccer change the landscape and change how we think about soccer and change how we view it, um, even at that level and even at the bottom level, even the, the grassroots and the club. So Jurgen Klinsmann was the first coach I know to really be implementing foreign players. So in Greg Berhalter has kept this up and, you know, because – Jurgen Klinsmann chose the foreign players first. Uh, Greg Berhalter followed in his suit and was like, oh, that's advantageous because, um, you know, back in when, for example, back when Greg Berhalter was a player, he was a player for the men's national team. When he was a player um, on the roster in the 2016, in the 2006 uh, World Cup, which was 17 years ago. Um, so, we, I mean, we could just take a look at the roster for the 2006 World Cup. Um and, you know, this this squad, the uh, only reason I point out this squad and because I went online to look up the lineups from 2006 in November, but it it didn't it, it only went back to 2007. So I thought this was was important to pull to note because this was Greg Berhalter on the roster. Right. And so he's the coach now. And so this is what it looked like when he was as a player. So. Uh, when they were at the World Cup, which was supposed, you know, if you're taking a team to the World Cup, if you qualify for the World Cup and you're going, you're taking your best team. You're taking the best team you can have on paper at that time, unless you just out here just being silly. Um, so um, only 11 players were uh, playing overseas at any level at that time. And so um, most notably, I think, think most notably on that sheet of paper um not sheet of paper but online i was looking and seeing that 27 year old tim howard was the probably the most notable just looking just looking at it like if you know soccer he's not the most notable he's not the most notable player on the 2006 world cup roster there's there's a host of others landon donovan is clint dempsey but those two guys were playing mls at the time yeah clint dempsey hadn't even touched fulham or tottenham he was still a new england revolution and so, um, uh, just and by the way, if you didn't know, uh, Landon Donovan actually started out in Germany. That, yeah, he started out in Germany. I think he started with Bayern Leverkusen, and then he got pushed over to Bayern Munich, and then he just decided to come back home because that's where he was going to get the most playing time and the most money, I, I think. So, anyway, so it was only 11 players playing overseas at any level in 2006 on the World Cup roster. And then um, most notable was 27-year-old Tim Howard. And Tim Howard was on the bench. Let me tell you something. Tim Howard was on the bench as a 27-year-old at Manchester United because Casey Keller and Brad Friedel were so phenomenal in front of him. And even if even if they weren't as phenomenal as they actually were, I mean, these two were like stalwarts. And they played in England as well. Like, like Casey Keller was playing at Borussia Magdeburg, uh at the time. And if you know anything about Borussia Magdeburg, they play in the Bundesliga in Germany. And Borussia Magdeburg is one of those, like, I'm going to give it to my uh, audience, um, my American audience. I'm going to give it to you in a simple way. They're like, they're like, mm -hmm, they're like Missouri. If you know anything about Missouri football, they're kind of like middle of the pack, you know what I'm saying? Top 20, top 15, you know what I'm saying? Um, very consistent in being like middle of the pack. And then there'll be good players that go on to get drafted from that from that team, or, or you know, you just maybe maybe like a um, 
like a like a like a Utah Utes. I don't know if you say that right, but Utah's pretty. I think they're in. I think they're in the Mountain West. I don't know, but yeah, they're over there. And then Utah, you know, um, they'll be placing a lot of times. They'll be placing in the top tens. I don't know if they do it anymore, but they used to do that a lot. But teams like that, USC, um, middle of the pack team type deal, kind of reaching that upper echelon, possibly, maybe every once in a while. That's what Marusha, that's what Barusha Matnagok is, and they produce. They'll produce individual talent sometimes. I know they got um Yan Sommer. Yan Sommer was, you know, one of them dudes that really got a push from being at Barusha Madniglock. Um he's what I would consider the modern day version of the goalkeeper. You know what I'm saying? And and he mixed the old with the new. He's like if Gianluigi Buffon was like young now. So he's got the hands, he's got the distribution. Do you know what I'm saying? He's got the ability to control his box. He's not short. He's six two, so he's like, he's like right. I mean, like really, like tall is six four for a goalkeeper, but six two will get you there. And he also is able to. Um, he's also able to make clutch holds, like he catches the ball in times where most goalkeepers would parry it. And um, he just it's really good composure and goal. You know what I mean? And um, he just looks the part too. Like that's a thing. Like if you're gonna be a professional, you gotta. It's like a certain type of swag you got to have. You know what I'm saying? You got to be able to – it's hard to explain. You know what I'm saying? You got to look at it and just see it like – I mean, then there are some guys that just don't look like it. But there are guys that you like, that dude was made by God to be a professional. And it's true. Like, when you see Yan Summer, you're like, bro, that boy, what, what was made to play soccer? <laughs> what was made to play goalkeeper in soccer specifically? So, yeah. Um, Here we go, sorry, sorry. Here we go back to the back to it. So, you know, I um, I wanna I wanna um, bring two other points up about this, and then I'll, I'll bring it all home. So, in this particular uh, talk about the U.S. men's national team, so check this out. In 2016, the men's U.S. national team record was six wins, four losses, three draws. So that's 13 games in total. And in 2023, as of October 17th, 2023, the U.S. men's national team record is nine wins, two losses, five draws, 16 total games. So why do I bring all this up? I bring all of it up to ask the question to you, do you think soccer is growing in America? And can we look at the senior national team as a measuring stick to see if the sport is growing nationwide? I, I personally think that you, you can. You can. And, yes, I think the U.S. men's national team is growing, um, is, is a success. So, I mean, albeit now, like, it's been hella gradual. Like, they're, they're – their uh their ability that like the men's national team is took them a while to get noticed i'm just gonna keep it real like even though we've been doing our thing like it's it's just taking a it's just taking a while it's just taking a while to for us to get noticed and uh because there's a lot of things that go on in 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 america that don't make the sport go the way 
it should go here because in America they treat it like they treat soccer like a rich man's sport. You feel me? But it's really a poor man's sport. You know what I mean? In America, they choose the kid who has the resources and puts them in the academy as opposed to the kid that doesn't have the resources and they he just kind of fall by the wayside and that's just how it goes. But that's not really what I'm trying to get on. I'm, I mean, it is, but I just kind of want to say I'm on a positive note here. So we had a growth. We've had really gradual growth, but we've grown the sport nationwide, and I can see the effects in in Middle Georgia like already. Um, so like, let me tell you something. Like, I know soccer on like almost a philosophical type level, and let me put you on. Let me put you on a little game. So in countries where soccer is the, I just was talking about this. So it's like I'm just trying to double down and let you know. Like in countries where soccer is a priority, you have clubs that have all ages for players and the kids can play like all the way up to the senior team right and now some of those clubs overseas and then not just overseas but in the caribbean and in in south america i mean i don't want you to think i'm just being like i'm just i'm just calling out overseas specifically europe because europe is usually where everybody goes to make a bulk of their money in soccer and make it big time and be recognized as an official professional even though that might be a landscape changing going to the Middle East. I don't know. We'll see as time goes on. But it's like it, the clubs that these kids play for, some of them actually end up being big clubs overseas, right? Like Barcelona, Real Madrid, or Man U. By the way, something Tottenham. I'm a Tottenham fan. These clubs that I'm naming off right here, like these clubs and a lot more, like you don't understand. Like there's a reason that soccer, like, it's been a gradual growth here. It's because our top professional league has only been around since 1996. So that's like 30 years. The clubs that I just set read off, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Man U, Tottenham, these clubs are like almost like 50 years, 40, 60 years away from being 200-year clubs. These, these clubs are establishments and then some in in these countries like these 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 clubs are um what the pantheon was to the ancient greeks you know where they go and they and they worship and they sacrifice to their gods you know what i'm saying like that's church on sunday to them folks like barcelona real madrid uh, uh that's church on sunday to them folks you know what i'm saying even in other countries like mexico and uh the, you know um brazil and stuff and they you know they've named leagues after you know other leagues like in brazil the the brazilian league is called the syria what because that's it's so europe is so synonymous you know what i'm saying everybody's cop everybody's got a champions league in their own continent europe is the mecca that's all i'm trying to tell you that's us so it's like um in these countries uh you got kids who play in these clubs and they just happen to be and by the way these clubs scout everywhere they don't just scout the rich people's you know club soccer encl they don't just go and scout the you know the 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 college showcase tournament they go and scout like pickup games they go and scout sunday league games in 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 nether regions of the country and nether regions of the world to find people you know what i'm saying how do you think they found people like yaya Torre? how do you think 
they found people like Samuel Eto'o. How do you think they, they found people like Kylian Mbappe? Kylian Mbappe is from the slums of France, okay? How do you think they found Messi, okay? Messi is from a poor part of Argentina. They literally pulled him out of the poor part of Argentina and, and sent him to over to, to, to Barcelona. I mean, these guys do their research, and I just feel like America, and I'm trying to bring the years of, 30 years, we haven't learned enough on how to recruit. 30, 30 years, 120-something years, these guys have learned how to recruit in superior tactics in ways that we can't even imagine. And even if we try to replicate them right now as a, as, a, as a soccer culture and a community, we could at best be third, fourth best, you know what I'm saying? And that's why, and it's just going to take time for the culture to grow. But these 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 clubs, these teams that are overseas and South America and stuff, these these clubs have been around for 70, 80 years, 90 years, 100 years, 120 years, 130 years, 150 years. These clubs are what your how your grandpa and how your father love Georgia UGA football uh, or how they love the Atlanta Falcons because, you know, the Atlanta Falcons were made in 1966. That's a you know what I mean? Like the Giants are a club that's pushing eighty, almost eighty years. The Chicago Bears, the history, it's the same thing. Like that, you know, it's the same thing in other countries, except more extreme, more extreme. Imagine the Chicago Bears on steroids. Uh, that's a bad franchise to put out there. But imagine the Patriots on steroids. That's 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 Manchester City. You know what I'm saying? Imagine middle of the pack, you know what I'm saying? Dallas Cowboys. No, not Dallas Cowboys. More like more like Minnesota Vikings, Barusha Matiklock. Um, but yeah, back to back to my talk about US soccer and where it's at, um, and the soccer on period. So in the middle Georgia, uh in middle Georgia, like my childhood club has finally created an adult club. So what I was saying was you got to feel me on this one too. Like when when the kids get done playing for the club teams overseas, they have an adult club. It doesn't matter if it's Barcelona, Real Madrid, or um, Ipswich Town, which is in the lower leagues of uh, English soccer, or um, any other small clubs. You know what I'm saying? Rovers, Tramore, Tr- it doesn't matter. They all have adult clubs, so that way you give your your youngsters something to shoot for as a goal so they don't give up the game and guess what that keeps them active and that keeps them healthy and that keeps them living longer you know what i'm saying i'm actually not really the biggest fan of soccer to keep it real with you i know soccer is in my dna i didn't swerved in it so long that this is this is a lane that i just do things in to have some socialization and it helps me stay in shape it helps me motivate me to stay eating healthy it motivates me to be able to um well, I got to stay in shape, you know, because I got a little boy and stuff. I want to be up chasing him. And I want to be able to – one day I hope to play soccer with my son if he's interested in soccer or play sports with him. Soccer is helping me do a lot of that stuff because, it's, you know, you got to work out. I don't know if you know this. 90-minute games in amateur league is not a joke. Full field? Yeah, no, it's not a joke. You have to be in shape. Like, you need to be in some decent shape. Like, you don't need – you're going to hurt yourself. So I, I have to do all the things that – a, a, a lot of a lot of pros do prehab, rehab. Uh, I actually after practice we had practice in Dublin. 
um, Springdale Park. And then it was like from six to eight. And then we got done. And then I went to um, I went to the house. It's like an hour away from where I live. And then I got back home. It was like like 10, 10 on a dot. I had a I had a thirty I had like a thirty minute workout, well 10, 40 minute workout really if you put the stretching in it stretching is a part of the workout so I had a forty minute workout like that's what that's what's going on you know what I mean so I had a protein shake and a banana after and you know that's that's what it is so you got to be in shape to do that but anyway my adult club formerly known as um, or it's Legion FC now. Formerly known as Southern Lions Football, and for my um for my millennials uh that are from the town, OG name CGSA Central Georgia Soccer Association. So um I call it CGSA. So if I ever refer to Legion FC as CGSA, like just you're just gonna have to eat that because that's what me and my man's me and my boys like we refer to CGSA all the time. Where are you going? Going to CGSA? Go see some games. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, the only thing about Legion having an adult football club is it's going to be based in Dublin, Georgia, which is it's still Middle Georgia, but that's quite a coincidence because the team that I play for, which is Middle Georgia United FC, they happen to be playing in in Dublin as well. So maybe there's like a soccer hotbed on the adult tip for for soccer uh, in in Georgia in the next, and it'll be in uh, Dublin. I don't know. <laughs> But I thought I thought it was really good that that they implemented an adult team because a lot of kids they don't want to go play college they don't want to go play pro they don't want to do none of that they just want to do soccer as a hobby to keep them you know what I'm saying whatever whatever it does for their life and then go do their other things like there's a different generation of kids coming up bro there's a different generation of kids they don't they don't they see like all this stuff that you can have like a good life from and they say like i don't want, i don't have to beat my body up to do it which is actually thinking smarter not harder but at the same time a lot of these kids are having weight issues testosterone issues it's because you want to do no freaking push-ups it's because you want to freaking go outside and run it's because you won't you won't freaking do anything but sit on the game and play like you gotta balance it out but i'm not gonna get on that i'm gonna get off of that okay so, um, the, the addition, like, if you look at more of what the U.S. men's national team has done to grow the United States, if you look at the addition of, um, cities getting MLS teams, it's, I thought it was, I thought it was long overdue. I'm not going to lie. But if you look, if you look at the teams that added, if this look at the cities that added teams, you would see that. It's a direct reflection of what the U.S. men's national team was able to garner in terms of attention, and I'll explain that. So you got Atlanta, Cincinnati, St. Louis, and Austin have all gotten an MLS franchise within the last six years. And they're like these are all well-documented soccer cities. I just want to point that out. So the first one is Atlanta. Atlanta is well-documented as a soccer city because on the, on the grassroots tip, when I say grassroots, I mean youth soccer. Bro. We're like third behind Cali and Florida. I mean, you might even, you might even, we're probably, I'd say maybe we, just because it's the Texas size, we might be fourth. But really, like, we three or four and youth soccer. Um, 
our academy, Atlanta United Academy system is phenomenal. Um, um, also, the Atlanta Silverbacks used to be the the big ticket soccer uh, commodity back in back before Atlanta United had a team, and um, they played in the uh, NASL. The the uh, well, it's it's technically the old. It's the new old. Yeah, because they had an NASL like back when Pele was playing soccer and George Best was playing soccer, but they they folded in like 1985. But then they recreated themselves, and I don't know what year, but uh, they folded like some years ago. The NASL, North American Soccer League. So Atlanta United used to Atlanta Silverbacks used to be in that, and I, actually, I would had a, was the same conversation that I had with a friend. Uh, about when he said, uh, I spoke about it in another episode, I'm not sure which one, but I was like, he was like, do you want to, I mean, MLS or nothing? And I had asked him, I was like, do you, did you consider the um, Atlanta Silverbacks professional? And he said, no. And I just was like, dude, you crazy. Like those dudes are, were definitely professionals. Like I tried out for Atlanta Silverbacks in 2015. And man, I mean, the, well, first of all, the tryout was, I had an okay tryout, but okay, there was only one goal. Well, there was only there was only one player picked out of the whole trial. It was a goalkeeper. His name was Bryce Billington. He's pretty good, but I mean, the only reason he got that look, I feel like, was because he first of all he was just coming from Aberdeen, which is um, a team that plays in the Scottish Premier League top flight. You know, he had signed for them like straight out of high school. So you coming back as an American, I'd already spoke about this previously on the podcast. You coming back as an American over from overseas looking for a professional soccer gig, you're gonna get first dibs. You're gonna get first dibs on some type of club, like whatever club you show up with, and then the connection. If you got the connection, you'll get first dibs. So his connection was Gary Smith. Gary Smith was the coach for the Colorado Rapids when they won um when they won the uh MLS Cup. Now, I'm not sure what their relationship was, but I definitely know that he knew him. Definitely, for sure. I think Gary Smith is from, like, England or something like that. And I think Bryce Billiton is also, uh, like, his father was United. His father from the United Kingdom because I asked him when I was there. But pretty swell dude. Like, and he was he – be, he be balling. He was balling. He was balling. Like, just saying. Um, so – Back to back to what I was talking about in terms of like the teams that got added. So you got the uh, um, Austin, Austin, Texas, Austin FC. Sorry, Austin FC had the USL's Austin Bold, which my friend Clay Adams actually played at um, the United Soccer Leagues. Is the league right before, right below MLS United Soccer Leagues USL Championship in um, USL League One. So uh, my friend Clay Adams played for them and. Uh, Honest to be honest, to be completely honest, the Houston Dynamo already had the the soccer culture rooted before the before any Austin team ever got there. But even before that, the OG um, original uh, soccer franchise for for Texas and MLS was the Dallas Burn franchise, and uh, which is now uh, FC Dallas and. St. Louis, which was the last team, uh, last city that I mentioned, has a really, really interesting, um, colorful indoor soccer scene. Um, a lot of their winters are spent on the inside because it's, the winters are can be kind of brutal. 
Um, so they created, they cultivated indoor, indoor soccer uh, uh, culture. They got the um, major arena soccer league um, team, St. Louis Ambush. It only, it only makes sense that I asked this question and I just, I don't want to, how can I say it? I just got to bring it up. I want to ask you, do you think the U.S. is going to win the World Cup? Now, I know that's a lot. I put a lot on you. I put a lot on you. So just make it easy. Just to make it easy on you, I will answer for you. And the answer is no. No. And the reason why is it's very simple. It's just we don't we don't have that presence on the world stage to, to claim it right now. Even the team that beat us, the Netherlands, they beat us three to one, by the way. That's a by the way, you get bounced. You know. All right. We had the probably the same amount of players that play overseas on that World Cup roster in Qatar in twenty twenty two that we have right now. And we got beat three to one in a round of sixteen. That's the first round in the World Cup out of the group stage. You got the round of sixteen, you got the quarterfinals, you got the semis, and then you got the finals. And then you, well before that you got the third place game. But still why why on earth would uh why on earth would uh why on earth would we think that we could win the world cup when we can't even get out of the round of 16 against Holland so we just got to be a little uh more realistic i guess and uh just realize that it's going to take a little bit more time for us to just gra- grab our marbles i mean even 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 Holland Holland is the one the world cup the only claim to fame they have on the world stage is euro 88 they're underachievers by large, but they're better than us. You know what I mean? And they've been around the block a few times. So, and by the way, when you get bounced, like in a game, like let me explain getting bounced. So when you get bounced, you know what I'm saying? It's for me personally, I, when I think about that, I think about like actual games that mean something. So um, playoffs, not playoffs, but tournament games. I don't really think about if you getting bounced, like, because if it's a regular season, you just got you got beat. But if you getting bounced, that means you were playing in a game that was probably win or go home, and you got beat pretty handedly. So, bounce. What's bounce score? Bounce score is like two zero, three one, four one, five two, four two, six to three, and also I want to say eight to four. That's a, those are bounced. Though to me, those are bounced scores, and those have been scores that I've seen uh, in uh, in actual games in the World Cup. Not the eight to four. I haven't seen the eight to four. Okay, but um, I've seen in World Cup qualifying and World Cup games. Okay, so um, I wanted to um, bring up another subject about soccer and how I think that it's influenced um, like the U.S. men's national team is, is it continued to grow and as a result soccer in um, in America has continued to grow and I think it's going to continue to grow specifically is going to continue to grow in the next um, 20 years I think and I believe you'll see more high level amateur leagues like the UPSL, which I play in, and the United Premier Soccer Leagues, you'll see more. Um, you'll see more uh, high-level amateur groups like UP, uh, NPSL, National Premier Soccer League, and USL Two. Um, so, I wanted to make some 
um, distinctions for people who are listening. Okay, I have to get this off my chest. And this is this is this is right. This is law. If you go look on the pyramid, soccer pyramid, it's it irritates the crap out of me. And I have a platform, so I'm gonna speak on it. You understand me? The leagues that I just mentioned, the UPSL, the uh, MPSL, and the USL2, they're not semi-pro leagues, bro. They're not semi-pro leagues. For those of you who are playing on it, and I'm one of these guys. I play in the UPSL, but I see some people, they'll put in their little bio, those social media bio, I play for a semi-professional. Dude, don't do that. Stop that. Stop that. Stop. Like I stop, like at a certain point in time, when the rapid started, stopped being professional. Like you know what I'm saying. When we were, um, we were at the Ramada Inn. You know what I'm saying. And um, hey, my teammate Sammy Valdivia and uh Devonte Mitchell, Ramel Jordan, can all attest to this and more. Um, the Columbus Rapids had us put up in the Ramada Inn in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and. Basically, the hotel got shot up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it ended up being like five people shot, three people dead. We were at dinner when it happened. When we came back, there was blood in the lobby, and there were body bags outside. So what I'm trying to tell you is, um, what I'm trying to tell you is, I stopped calling that a professional league at a certain point in time because they stopped being professional. And you got to realize, like if. If it ain't professional, it ain't professional. It's okay. I just think that we're in this time in soccer in America where everybody wants to slap professional on something and like slow down before you do that because there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that, I think. Um, but the NPSL, the U, the, U, the USL two, and um, and in uh, the NPSL do not typically teams in that league do not typically pay their players and if they do it's small few it's a small few it's not professional or semi-professional it's just high level amateur which is fine it's fine not everybody can be a pro and be paid lots of money it's a very small percentage of people it's cool find another hobby bro um so yeah so it's like um you got those te- those three, gr- and I think will happen over time. Like, is, is that they'll either honker down on how they operate business, and it'll be more professional, and um, or or there'll be new leagues that come up as a result of it to challenge them in their spot, and then um, some of the pr- um, properly labeled semi pro um, or full-time lower league professionals, as I like to call them. Um, like uh, in the USL Championship and USL League One. So that's that's probably more closer to semi-pro, bro. Like that's the semi-pro. Those guys are getting paid a salary every week. They're getting bonuses. You know what I'm saying? They're getting those things. You know what I'm saying? They're getting sponsorships. They're getting all of that. Although I did have a goalkeeper sponsorship from Ego Sport. I had it for 24 months. Um, it was probably, for me, I'm going to say that I got a lot of free stuff. I didn't get paid for anything. I got a lot of free stuff. But, nah, I ain't going to say nothing else. I'll just keep it. <laughs> um, so, 
the USL Championship, I think possibly is going to challenge the MLS in some way, form, or fashion as time goes on. Because what happened was the USL used to partner with the MLS and that they had, you know what I'm saying, the B teams of their pro teams in that league to get their players that were younger or weren't getting playing time or playing time. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a loan, like in the situation, let me explain this to you. In soccer, in professional soccer, they don't do like trades. They do loans. So they give the player to another team for, they loan them to another team. Like if you play at Manchester United and you're not getting a lot of playing time, which is okay because you play at Manchester United, They'll go ship you off to the Belgian Pro League, Club Bruges, and you'll play there for six months to a year. And you'll get your salary and wages paid um, by Manchester United. I, I would I would think so. And uh, I, I, I think some players even get double. You know what I'm saying? They get paid by the, the team that loaned them and the team that brought them in and the team that brought them in. But anyway, when that loan spell is over, you come back and you play on the top team and hopefully you've gotten better because you've gotten playing time and pl- playing experience. Same thing with USL or was where, you know, like it would be New England revolution would send their players. They just drafted or the players that, you know, aren't getting enough playing time, need more playing time. They would send them to a team aptly named New England revolution too. So creative guy. So creative. That's not a money grab at all. Um, yeah, but but it, it actually isn't a money grab because I read an article like like years ago about this how a lot of these um, and that was the reason why. Let me get to my point here. USL teams used to have B teams, MLS B teams, and the MLS B teams. The MLS was like, we're losing too much money um, putting our teams in this league because nobody would show up. I mean. When we went to go play Portland Portland Timbers, or, or not when we went to play, but when I went to go watch my friend um, play Portland Timbers t- 2, Clay Adams, he's playing for Austin Bowl. They're playing Portland Timbers 2. And uh, I I um, I saw that. It was a big crowd for Austin Bowl, and they didn't even have a parent club in the MLS. But then I, he ended up playing for Tormenta. They didn't have a parent club either. They were in Statesboro. They played in the USL League 1. I think two years later, he was a uh, – he was playing against Toronto FC. You know what I'm saying? Toronto FC. I thought that was kind of cool because I never seen um I never seen a uh foreign team. You know what I'm saying? It's not a foreign, it's just it's it's Canada, you know what I mean? A, a team from another country come and play us uh, in a club, American club. So it's like they played the Canadian national anthem. I thought it was kind of cool. But anyway, um if you go look online at these um two teams, you know, like they got really good talent, but it's just a mosh pit of people, and there's no fans that show up to those games. There were no fans showing up to those games. So they took them out. They took those B teams out of the USL Championship or the USL 1, whichever they were in. It's, And they put them in something called MLS Next. So that's, like, their version of, like, a USL Championship where we take it and we, we keep it all in-house. We don't have to split nothing up with you. We don't need you. So the USL is either going to – respond to that by competing or they're just going to go and stay in their little lane. But I think they're going to end up start competing. You know what I mean? Um, I think you're going to see a lot more recognition from them in time as time goes on because the longer clubs stay around and stay relevant at the top level, the more they get noticed. 
that's how a lot of clubs like Seattle Sounders, Vancouver Whitecaps, Portland Timbers, um, Minnesota United, I mean, all those clubs, they were grafted into the MLS um, family, basically because they had been around so long in the lower leagues, you know what I'm saying, been grinding. FC Cincinnati, same thing, they were in USL. But yeah, those those are the leagues that are, you know, and then you got MLS, obviously. And uh, so I just think that you're gonna see uh, a lot more challenge come towards the establishment. And, uh, but yeah, as, as far as like players go, like, yeah, they would send them there and, and then it would, you would go back to your, um, to your first team after being on the B team. And then hopefully you take in some experience and you can apply and you can be better and get some playing time. And that's how they do loans. Um, I know in sports over here, they trade you and that's it. Unless you want to get traded back, but that's not how it goes overseas. Also, before I get off of this, I wanted to talk about something. And it's like promotion and relegation. And it was like, I, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a reason I'm saying, there's a life reason I'm saying this. And I think it, it, in some ways, directly affects the behavior of either the culture of the people that it, it, that energy is submerged submerged in, or just in general, it'll kind of like grow branches in other parts of society. So, America re- America rewards bad behavior, and I think the world is kind of on that wave too. But not so much as America. Like for example, in the sports, like you see it, like. What happens in sports when a team performs poorly? What happens is they get the first round draft pick. Why the the heck do you get the first round draft pick and you just went one in 16 to to even to level out the playing field, they say? Okay. You know what they do in in other countries? This is what happens. If you are... um, Everton, if you're Everton FC, okay, play at Goodison Park in England, okay, Everton FC, and you get relegated, you can, by the way, so all the American systems have a closed-in league system where all of the, um, all the leagues, they, they stay close, like, everybody plays everybody, you know, in that bubble, where there's 15, 16, however many teams, and they do that because that is what keeps the investments of the um stakeholders uh stable so 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 um the profits are kind of like not fixed but they're fixed but you got some dividends that come extra you get some extra so that's why you don't see you didn't really see like you wouldn't see a person like chicago bears owner bugging because about his record because he gonna get paid at the end of the day anyway, but he gonna get his money in and and that and that 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 uh ownership that that team is his plaything. Like he bought that just to flex. But on other countries, other countries, other owners buy things to flex too. But the difference is they have a system called promotion and relegation. So what happened in other um places is that you'll put um a team like Everton in the top flight. Well they either they I don't know how it happened in the beginning, but I want to say that they work to get there. Well, if they lose their place in top flight nowadays, not only do they lose that position, they lose that revenue. They lose that, like, when I say revenue, <laughs> they lose t- 
TV ads, they, they lose TV slots, they lose TV rights, they lose certain merchandising rights, their merchandising, you know, power goes down, you know what I'm saying? Um, and then, you know, there might the money might not be there to pay the best groundskeeper. So you gotta get the second best groundskeeper. So your your field isn't as bad, isn't as good. So instead of having an A plus field, you have a A minus field or a B plus field. Um, now, when they drop down in the league, it's like championship league, so it's still top flight. You feel me? But you want to be in the Premier League because they're not showing the championship on Fox. Um, and there's like hundreds of leagues below that, so it can get worse. They do not reward good behavior in sports and others in other in other countries. Like if you don't get your crap together and win, you're gonna go down, and you keep going down. You're gonna keep going down. You keep it until. Everybody on the team has to eat porridge and give each other freaking um, – you have to give each other freaking covers to cover up on the bus because you don't have covers because you're broke and the, and the bus don't work and the, and, the, and the heater's broken and the bathroom don't work and the charter bus. Yeah, that's how rough it gets. So I'll just say that America rewards bad behavior because – you know, like the first, the team that does the worst gets the best draft picks. And then you just get to get a bunch of skilled guys going all over the place, but having no chemistry. And that just is bad because it just stretch out for a long time. And so now we'll move to the next topic. Okay, wrap up the show. We're going to discuss a current event that is going on out of the town and i just want to speak on it real quick i ain't gonna spend too much time on this but uh there was a recent youtube video that came out and it was uh it was titled fight nearly breaks out during u.s senate hearing and uh the senator um for um oklahoma uh mark uh mark mullen and um the president of the Teamsters Union, uh, Sean O'Brien, got into a war of words. And I can't believe I'm saying, like, the president of the Teamsters. Like, what is this? Like, what is this? Jimmy Hoffa? You feel me? I ain't heard about the Teamsters since I watched um, Anzio. What's that, What's that movie called, bro? I got to look up that movie, bro. What's that movie called, bro? Um, Jimmy Hoffa movie. Somebody help me out. Hey, if you know what it is. Uh, Stop me if we're in the town and 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 tell me what that movie is called. Man, what's that movie called? Oh man, Jimmy Hoffa movie. I seen it. Um, Michael, Michael. Uh, man, I'm butchering this. I'm butchering. You could tell I don't do movies very well. What's his name? Michael uh, Francesi or whatever. The guy that made the um. Bro, that's not it. The Irishman. That's what it's called, The Irishman, and it's written by Martin Scorsese, directed by Martin Scorsese. So, um, yeah, I was just thinking about that type of stuff. Like, this is some, like, movie-type stuff, kind of, like, unlow-key. But Mark, um, Markway is his name? I'm going to call him Mark. Mark and Sean got in a little war of words, and uh, Mark was like, you want to run your mouth? You want to talk, you know, boosy voice, and the dude was just. 
that's a bruh. Like if if anybody, <laughs> if anybody's got to tell me how to behave while I'm in a spot <laughs> of authority. <laughs> Ooh, I'd be so hot. Um, he probably felt that's kind of like slick secondhand embarrassment because you out here trying to scuffle on the flow, but. Um, I'm gonna tell you something. There's something in history that happened in the USA. Uh, it happened uh, during, yeah, it happened 167 years ago. It was on May 22nd, it was 1856. It was the caning of Charles Sumner. So, <laughs> so um, the cha- the caning of Charles Sumner um, was uh, was uh, was in the United United uh, United States Senate chamber. When Representative Preston Brooks, a pro-slavery Democrat from South Carolina, used a walking cane to attack Senator Charles Sumner, an abolitionist Republican from Massachusetts. The attack was in in retaliation for an invective-laden speech given by Sumner two days earlier in which he fiercely criticized slavery holders, including pro-slavery South Carolina Senator Andrew Butler, a, a relative of Brooks. The beating nearly killed Sumner and contributed significantly to the country's polarization over the issue of slavery. It has been considered symbolic of the breakdown of reasoned discourse and willingness to resort to violence that that eventually led to civil war. Although Sumner was unable to return to the Senate until uh, December 1859. Holy crap. I was out. In three years, yeah, I still count on my fingers. Um, the Massachusetts legislator refused to replace him, leaving his desk empty in the Senate as a public reminder of it. <laughs> Listen, bro, I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna spend too much time on this, but I just wanted to say that we soft, <laughs> we soft, bro. We listen, bro. I bet people. I haven't even looked in the comments of those YouTube sec, those YouTubes. But I bet you, it's like, oh, it's Starlight, bro. Like, no, bro. There was a man caned in the Senate like 167 years ago, almost killed because he stood up for. He's he he wanted to make sure I wasn't in chains to this day, in in my family. So because of that, he got caned. <laughs> ooh, ooh, he got caned. So yeah, I think it's just kind of like. Man, it was real funny to see. Well, on a serious note, like, what's going on in our politics? What, like, what do people, what do you think people see when they look across the ocean or they look up from South South America or Central America or they look down from Canada and they're like, what are these dudes doing? What are these people doing? Um, politics just seemed kind of like money grab. You know what I'm saying? There was a kid who, um, my friend Brandon Berenger, shout out to Brandon Berenger. Brandon Berenger was telling me about this. I think he's a kid. He's like when I say kid, is like when you talk about being in Congress or something like that, you're gonna be a kid technically. Around you're a man, but you're like age wise. You know what I'm saying? They they're gonna kind of like how do you say it? Um, they're gonna discredit you for your age, but that's not the point I'm trying to make. This kid was probably my age, and then. Um, he ran for Congress. Now, Brandon, if I got this story wrong, please, like when we when we meet up, please correct me. But pretty sure he was like applying for 
running for Congress or something. He's in Virginia or something like that. <sighs> and he won. The thing is, I think he took out like a quarter of a million dollars in debt. Okay? I think senators, I think senators make six figures, but if you work for the government, you get taxed debt. Excuse me. The point I'm trying to make is, I was telling Brandon that, bro, he's not going to be in debt any more longer than six months because they all do insider trading. They all, when they get in the Congress, like they all know what stock is going to pop, what stock ain't going to pop, what stock's going to drop, what stock's going to drop, what stock isn't going to drop. They know the numbers. They know what's going on. They got inside scoop on how things run and how money is made and how, how things are won. So to be a politician in Congress nowadays is to have like a literal, like, it's like, um, just filling your coffers, you know what I'm saying? So anybody that has a Congress seat, I really honestly don't think you're a public servant. I think that you are just money hungry. And it's so ironic because like the government doesn't really pay that much, but once you get on the Congress side, you get all the benefits of seeing how money moves. And that's all the politicians, when they get to that level, they be rich. You, like, literally, like, bro, it's not supposed to be like that. They're supposed to serve the public. Y'all aren't supposed to be rich. You're supposed to be out serving the public. You're not supposed to be rich. If you have to be rich, you're supposed to be rich from your own, like, thing that you do. You know what I mean? Like a family farm or something like that. Or, you know what I'm saying? Some, some other entrepreneur business that you had prior how 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 are you richer when you left Congress? How are you richer? They get richer every time they leave a seat in politics. How? When you're not even supposed to be doing stuff like that. <laughs> when you... So, that's just my little uh, super ignorant rant. <laughs> but, you know, it's uh it's been fun this far coming along and uh i ain't gonna stop now so this has been tevin west your host for talks with tox and you guys have a good friday evening i mean friday afternoon it's friday afternoon